0: This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching. Here for the coach. Visit UKcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. So thank you for tuning in. This is a UK Coaching Coach Developer podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Hartley. I'm a senior coach developer at UK Coaching, and I'm joined today by Richard Cheaton. Good morning. Morning, Richard. Um, Richard, thank you for coming onto the call and for being free to kind of talk about your journey as a coach developer uh, and and your approach to coaching amongst lots of other things. Um, to kick us off today, would you mind just telling us a little bit about your your background and, and your journey to, to where you
1: are now? Yeah, I suppose. Um, it, it, I, I mean, I was a, I was a teacher at a college on on a BTEC program and but also playing. Rugby not very well, have to say, at my local club, and um, when that when that came to its natural conclusion from injuries, really. I mean, my my real background was cycle racing, and I, you know, kind of took a a step to when I was at university to go and do rugby, and um, so when I started playing rugby, I needed to fill that that gap, want to stay connected, stay with the team, stay involved, and so I kind of offered myself up as part of the. The coaching staff at at Basingstoke, which is my which is my club, uh, and although well, my postgraduate sports science, I I felt a much greater affinity to coaching. Um, yeah, so that that was really where I was drawn to. I just I just felt it was it seemed to it was just a much better fit for me, really.
0: What What was that like for you, almost transitioning from from being a an athlete or a performer into becoming a coach? Did you find yourself as Richard, the ex-performer, who become a coach, or Richard the coach?
1: Um, I, I think the hardest thing was not wasn't really the hardest thing I for me was giving up rugby. Was that you? You aren't that you're not that player anymore. You're not that you know when you cross the light, white line, you with the play. You know you have a very different shared experience than the coach does to the players. The players and players are very close, but there's still that playing that shared kind of battle, if you like, that you have on the on the, on the pitch. Um, I think my only real struggle, because I still had my cycling, so that was the thing that really, you know, I, I'd see plenty of people my age, and a friend of mine, Phil, you know, is back in his knees, and I thought, well, I, I just want to go back to my love of cycling. I don't want to go back with an injury that um, is going to prevent me from doing that. So I, I was actually quite happy to stop playing. My biggest challenge was to then kind of get that validation from the players I coached because I I wasn't particularly a good player. You know, I I drifted around the second, third team rugby and was actually ended up being one of the coaches with with both the first, second and third teams. So I think my biggest challenge was to kind of get that validity amongst players who I knew I wasn't as good at. Mm, That that must have been
0: um, a period of time, which I, I guess that didn't happen overnight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did have um, I did have some wise. You know, I have to say that players were very kind to me um, in, in the sense that they their their wisdom and their knowledge and their ability to talk with me uh, was was definitely something that supported me. I remember the very first session, I thought I need to sort of put a bit of a marker down, so I took them on a run from the clubhouse up to the top of the second, uh, top of the first team pitch it was probably about just a 400-meter warm-up, really old-school warm-up, I have to say. Um, and a turned around, and of the 25 players, only, there's only three there um, because the others decided just to to, to leave me to it, really. They, it was like my first lesson. We don't want to do that. That's not what we do. So I was all right about proving myself, at least being a f- as fit as anybody, if not as good a player. And I turned around and realized, actually, that uh, that I needed to really be mindful of what, what the culture of the group was, what what fitted them, rather than me going thinking, right, well, I'm going to put a marker down and and validate myself by at least being being as fit as everybody. So, um, but they were good. They did take me, you know, along with them. I, I think that's probably my my real thanks to the players is that they appreciated my involvement. I there was a senior coach who kind of did majority of the technical tactical technical stuff, and uh, yeah, I think they just 'Cause they knew I'd been in the club a long time and they just embraced embraced me and were patient and gave me feedback when things didn't go well um and complimented things that they went right. So they were very supportive, almost like a group of mentors. Oh, fantastic. That's 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 a nice story, and I guess is is
0: the platform for the rest of your coaching and development journey?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think um it it's For me, it's always knowing that you don't know everything, that you can always learn something and to never go into a situation without your eyes and ears open to what is happening. Um, And that's probably been one of the greatest lessons is that, you know, coaching validation comes from how you are with people. Um, The difference you make to people, it isn't about me going in and saying this is my CV. Right. I kind of almost get a little bit embarrassed sometimes when I'm introduced, not because I'm not you know, really proud of the things I've done, but I always think, well, that's what I've done with other people. People who are in front of me now will only be able to reflect upon the experience I've had with them. So, um, you know, you validate yourself by the difference you make by how you challenge people's thinking things from enjoyment to learning and um yeah so i i think that going in with a plan is the classic mike tyson thing you know that uh i'm probably gonna get this quote very wrong but um <laughs> everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face
0: <laughs> that's a great quote that's a great quote we'll find we'll find the uh the year and the, uh, the the date to go against that and,
1: and yeah <laughs> i suppose to sum that up in the coaching thing it's to say i didn't expect that to happen you know i thought they were all going to listen i thought they're all going to do i thought they'd all learn i thought they'll be able to do that and then being mindful look you've got to really be very um reactive dynamic um intuitive on that, really, from from your experiences and, and along your journey, I'm sure there's been
0: plenty of, of moments that have felt really super positive and and a, a phrase that you, you shared with me though you've had some ouch moments along the way. Have, mm. have there been any, any kind of moments that really stick in your mind across your journey as, as developing as a coach and, and as a developer and a, a lecturer, et cetera, uh, that have really shaped, shaped your route and shaped your
1: pathway? Yeah, I, I think... Um... That definitely over time, I mean, I suppose people may recognize some of the more creative things that I've done in coach development and teaching. Um, and they come about from a sort of faith that actually we're all quite similar in, in some ways. So, for example, um, if you've been to some of the sessions I've you say double cards or balloons, classic kind of, mm-hmm. almost like my trademark, I suppose, or maybe, and then a the thumbs good. game and and different ones. Is that actually um, people are a lot more receptive than than you think, and and I've gone into groups from from school children when I've done some physical literacy work, um, right through to professional coaches in rugby, cycling, and and. Um, Multiple sports and a more diverse audience, and it's always, it always never ceases to surprise me how engaged people are with something that somebody else might perceive to be at risk. So, one of the first things that I suppose I, I one of the things I learned actually for some a new member of staff came in and she made everybody draw a picture for the staff room, but she said, What? She said, oh, I want you to draw it. And he started to draw it. He said, you have to draw it on your head. and People had to guess what it was. And um, so rather than just draw an image, you had to put a piece of paper on your head, draw what you were thinking, and be able to guess what it was. Now, how do you get a group of professional people to do that? Well, uh, it, it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and it works because it's about... I think one of your questions later on comes about... Um, Safe learning environments. People will do that when they feel that the consequences of w- what you're asking them to do are um, enjoyable and and safe. There's no negative consequence. So you pro- you project case. that. You project that. You know, if if if, if, if I have to be the biggest uh, cl- not clown. That's a wrong word. But you know, if I'm going to draw a picture on my head and expect people to do it, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to play this game, I'm going to do this game. If I'm going to blow a balloon up and catch it, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to tell a really bad joke, I'm going to be one that leads that. And that's that ability to be vulnerable and say, listen, if I'm expecting you to do this, I've got to deliver it in such a way where you feel it's really comfortable, really enjoyable, and it becomes infectious. So what I project is what I get back. That, that's really interesting. And I think the, the word you use there, and we've spoken
0: about it before, is that, that vulnerability. And, and that that opportunity to put yourself in a position where things might not go quite as you expected, or mm. you're taking some kind of risk. Uh, I was listening to a, a Brené Brown podcast uh, um, or TED talk recently, talking about vulnerability almost being at the at the root of creativity, innovation, love, happiness, etc. Because mm. you just have to take a risk to get from A to B. Uh, so it's interesting that you mentioned that, and that being a, an important an important quality. Uh, to be able to have as a coach or an educator.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the Bernie Brown is is, is is fantastic because, you know, the sort of things that she talks about is relationships, you know, and if we feared falling in love because of getting a broken heart, we'd never meet anybody, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's the same with an idea, you know. If you, if you don't actually... Um, Go through with an idea and try something, you'll forever be always on this same level. Um, but, you know, I always think, well, what if it doesn't work? I say, yeah, what if it does work? You know, Absolutely. How, do you, how do you differentiate yourself? And, you, and some of the great work, you know, which I've seen you do and, and, and how you think is that, um, it's that differentiation. I, I want to create different experiences for people I coach and teach.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and I I would suppose from that you're making learning really memorable and sticky and and something that people can relate to and then apply back into their own world.
1: Yeah, and and that that's that never ceases to surprise me from some of the messages that I I got. AD Hudson, who I taught until now twenty five years ago. <laughs> um, you know, he was one of the students I taught and lovely lad. And he just sent me a message the other day. Said, you know remembered something that we did as a group um, and other students and people I've coached will come back when you bump into them and they'll say, "I remember when you did this, I've never forgotten it. Hmm. And I'd also say that's very reciprocated that you know there's things that you have taught me that never cease to surprise me. Um, which is you know we talk about being being sort of vulnerable and and I, I just remember doing a, a session with um, a group of children in my daughter's class when I was doing this moving stories project, which is about bringing a book to life through movement. And um, a couple of people may have heard this story before, but you know I, I said, right, how does a pirate move? So we did pirate pirates, now it's parrots. So whatever I did, they copied. I said, what about an octopus? How many tentacles an octopus had? And they said, eight. I said, well, we've only got four, two arms and two legs, so let's just move as though we've only got four tentacles. And this lad, Harry, ran behind me and started to do star jumps and said, look, if we, were, if we, become, if we get into pairs, we've got eight, so let's all get into pairs. Now, my point behind that was there must be something about that environment that had been created where he felt completely safe to come up in front of the whole group and share his idea. And, and that, for me, is not just a group of primary level students. Children, it's right the way through. Can you work with a group of coaches, as a coach um, developer and coach educator, can you work with a group of athletes, participants, where there's a dialogue, where they feel they can share their ideas and take a session you're doing to a different direction?
0: Really interesting and I guess on that point it comes to doing your role as a, as a developer uh, and as, a, as an educator when you're supporting coaches whether that's at, at university within within the work you do there or out, out kind of in the field working with different sports or different organizations um, how do you how do you start that how do you create that environment um, with coaches in in their own context or in their own world where they feel safe to be able to go and be themselves when they're coaching with you or coaching in front of you? Um, are there any kind of key ingredients that you would say for other coach developers to bear in mind or consider when, when setting up that environment?
1: Yeah, I, I've thought a lot about that and I've used the word laboratory. So when you get a group of coaches in front of you, um, be experienced or, or novice coaches, in some ways you're getting, you. there is an element of experimentation Whereas yes, there's things that you would deliver that that are kind of fundamental to that 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 uh, situation you are with them, the level they're at. But also, my feeling is that sometimes coaches don't try new things in the when they go out into that practice setting. They don't try them for the first time because they fear they're going to go wrong, and that thing's right. I would never do that again. And sometimes that coach, developer, coach educator, and an environment to have at universities I say this is the laboratory this is where we try and experiment new ideas and we give each other feedback and you know we we, we aim to enhance someone's idea support it rather than to, to squash it you know um, I used to think about the world if you know the devil's advocate the one who say, oh yeah but what if this happens and it would be the hurdler It'd be the person who puts the hurdle in someone's way and the hurdle is someone jumps over that hurdle. Yeah. Um, so so I, I feel very much if you are in the role of, you know, educating coaches, developing coaches, and in my way, in my role at universities, give an environment where there's an, a feeling there is an, an area of experimentation. They've got to experience something, they've got to be able to reflect upon it, and they've got to get the confidence to then try it when they go into that real-world setting.
0: Uh, there was something you just said there, Richard, that really really struck me, um, and I don't know if it's just a turn of phrase, or uh, I, I genuinely believe this will be the way that you work, but you talked about giving each other feedback. So it's not necessarily you just... It's a one-way thing where you're the expert coming in, supporting a coach. It, it's, a, it's a two-way process.
1: Mm. And uh, I, I know one of the, the, the points that you've written down... Um, this morning was about giving authentic and meaningful feedback you know we don't want to be surrounded by the kind of the imprison you clothes, where everybody says it's amazing it's great and actually you've got nothing on because when you do stand out there you are going to look you know foolish and if you look at athletes and performance and students and feedback and coaches and feedback we want to know that um, we, we're given the, the real, your real view of what you've seen um, um, and that is to say not um, say things like it's not good enough is to say constructive feedback that says you know classic things what, what did you notice what went well why do you think it went well what would you change those very classic questions and then inviting feedback from the group because if you've got Ten, fifteen, twenty 20 people in front of you, that's 10, fifteen, twenty 20 people's brains, mm. experiences. And you know, if you've got a different, if you got a range of sports, a range of experiences, then why not open it up to their contributions?
0: Absolutely. Everyone's going to see the situation differently, aren't they? And, and mm. probably suggest and share different and, and new ideas.
1: Mm. And if... Uh, and you, you'd... I would like to think that when you are watching them, that you would want to feel you could give them some feedback as well. Um, You know, I learn a lot from those I teach. And that because they give me that feedback, and because they know that they can tell me honestly um, what they felt about things. It might might not be always what you want to hear. Mm. You might thought that was a really funny joke and no one laughs. But at least you know that you wouldn't use that joke again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get that often? Uh, most of the time, my jokes, yes. I'm surprised people are still speaking to me.
0: <laughs> um, so, I, I guess the point on feedback is that you, you, when you're working with people, it might necessarily be some of their soft skills or, or some of the, the, that enables them to be able to receive some of the feedback, which isn't necessarily always the good stuff, because feedback not always going to be positive. Mm. So I guess this might be different for every person or every coach that you work with. But when you're giving feedback that maybe isn't isn't always positive or reinforcing, really good things that the coach is doing, how how do you support a coach to to take on board the key messages you you want to give them that, that is really helpful for them, but might not necessarily be um, good feedback? It could be things that they want to improve on or need to improve on.
1: Yeah, listen, I I think that's very you know I, I as you mentioned before, we mentioned the ouch moments. Um, sometimes, when you give the feedback, people are just not aware of, oh, I didn't even notice that. So, it's how can you make them realize the consequences of what they've just done, both positive and negative? Uh, invite the group to give feedback on their experience openly. And to, you know, the, it's not, not very complicated questions, it's things like, you know, what, what were you trying to achieve? How do you know you've made a difference? And when you stand in front of a group, I think this' going to be one of your later questions and some of the th- things that I've done with different sports, is to, the the question you're going to ask them will not be one that you predetermined before the session starts. It will emerge from watching something. So, um, you, know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'll you know, go into one of one of the uh, championship clubs and... and stand on this sideline watching this uh, this game that they were playing, the four quarters. And, um, you know, I was... Uh, I took a student with me, because uh, they always... Well, happy to invite students to come along and stand with me. And I was very mindful that I wasn't going to go in with anything other than genuine feedback on what I saw. And it must have been about 20 minutes before I saw something... I took a photograph, and at the end of it, I, I said this question. and They played four 15-minute four quarters of this game, and the two, two teams stayed the same. And at only one point in those four quarters did, did one team actually stop and talk about how they would approach the next quarter. So, they didn't do any effective kind of half time team talks. So they just played 15 minutes, next one, next one, next one. And I said at the end of it, so took this photograph. What did you see? And I said, This is one of the what did you see? And they said, uh, Players uh, talking together, talking to each other. And I said, Yeah, how many times do you think that happened? And I said, I don't know. So, well, that's the only time that happened. Um, and they, they had invited me in because they wanted to get better. And they can't get better if I keep on waxing lyrical and sugarcoat things. But what I did was I kind of drew the answer from them out, which is when they, it's classic phrase, they own the learning. You know, when my students did the butterfly drawings, I now know what I need to do to get better. And if you can reach that phrase in coach education, in learning, and those you coach, where well, they understand how they can get better? Then yes, it may be uncomfortable, they think okay, that wasn't what I'd hoped for, but that delivery of that is, is really very much about how your relationship is with that person, for them to receive it in the way that you want them to. And, and I'm sure that the, the kind of having those really
0: open and honest personal relationships uh, is key to be able to be really effective with, with your feedback.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's it, exactly, look, I want to get better. And I did a presentation for UK coaching last year. Um, and, uh, you know, Lou Arnold for Project 500 was was in there. And I know Lou really well. And, uh, you know, I, I just said to her, what, do, what did you think? And she said, well, I mean, she it was brilliant. I said, well, you did, you know, it's really, she said all the things that were positive. And she said, why do you not, why, do, why not rather than talk about seven, do three? And I thought, that's correct, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> There's basically seven themes I was talking about in the 45 minutes. And on reflection, like I said, well these are the seven important things from my learning environment. and I'm gonna concentrate on three and do three really well. Now, that's the feedback that I want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's from someone who's experienced as well. So you know, I, I knew that they were gonna give me something that's gonna make me better.
0: Two things you mentioned in the last couple of minutes that, that I'd love to touch on, if that's okay. One, you just mentioned around when you were making the observation and, and the, the game with the, the four corners, and you said you took a photo um, of, of what happened. So I, I would imagine a lot of people who, who work and go out and support coaches in the field might look to make notes or have different ways of um, documenting what happens in the practice to recall later on. Why, why do you choose to take a photo? How does that affect it?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I, I kind of wanted to explain why, actually. Um, so I, I'm, if I'm invited to come and uh, you know, support coaches or to watch sessions, um, and I've been very fortunate to go through you know, lots of different environments, I just don't think it's helpful for players and coaches to know there's somebody who they may have met for the first time, certainly the athletes would sort have of seen me for the first time, uh, to stand there with a clipboard taking notes. Uh, because much as I make sure they say to them who I am, that I don't want to be thinking that I'm, you know, classically, I have to confess, I filmed my driving test three times, okay? Every time the driver examiner wrote something down, I thought it was a negative, and I thought I'd failed. And I, I think when you become much more experienced, you know, we'll have our smartphones, the photograph will, will be a snapshot of something we want to show them. It, it's really helpful because I could have said, it's the only time, but when I took a photograph, they went, yeah, that's right. And I bet you he was a person who led that session. And it was a senior player who'd taken it upon himself because the, the sort of under 23s didn't really know, you know, who would put their hand up and say, come on, let's sort this out. So. Yeah. It was genuine because it was a snapshot. It was something I'd seen, and I don't want to be that driving examiner on the fringes of a pitch or a practice setting, where people would could modify their behaviours because they think I'm someone who is making a decision about them, judging them, assessing them. I mean, my worst, (laughs) ironically, not my worst, but one of my hilarious teaching moments when I was a young teacher was. I said to the students, "Right, oh, a lady called Pam. She's going to sit at the back of their room, and she's my assessor." Okay. So Pam walks in, back in the back classroom, and it, I shouldn't have said anything because they just changed their behaviours. They started to behave. They started to be very polite, and the, the natural rapport that we had was lost because they thought they needed to behave properly, not naturally. Um, and uh, oh, lovely, lovely students really had a really good rapport, but. It it, it was like, I said said to Pamela, they're not normally like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you didn't get the authentic um, classroom experience. Exactly. didn't get the kind of, you know, kind of rapport, cheekiness um, that that I kind of was used to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, Just one other question just in in this area, which, which I think is something that maybe lots of people who support coaches would probably resonate with is when, when you're out in a developer capacity and you're supporting coaches, you might have to wear a, a range of hats um, mm. and, and almost have a, a range of different roles. So, for example, moving from being a developer into someone who maybe is, is an assessor to an extent, if you're supporting from someone through a qualification, uh, you might need to, to mentor someone at some point uh, within your university capacity as a, as a lecturer. Mm. How, how, how does that feel for you in terms of understanding what hat do you need to wear at what point? And do you ever find yourself in a position where you're wearing two or three hats because people need lots of different things from you at the same time?
1: Yeah, um, in in the in that kind of mentoring, teacher, coach, developer, coach, educator role, you know, um, across all of those, I think that there is overlap. You know, inevitably when you are um, developing coaches, you'll be that mentor, even if you're just with them for that session, there'll be some informal mentoring going on where it, it, it's the, the feedback and the reflections you give them. Um, the, the depth and the detail are different. A young coach will require possibly more mentoring, may not realize they need a mentor, which is that, that young coaches on their coaching journey, don't mean young by age, by young by experience, are very often the ones who possibly need m- most mentoring um, because you know, we, me and you have both spoken about that reflective practitioner. How do you reflect? Um, well, we need to learn how to reflect. So, I so I think inevitably you'll have a mentoring role, if not formally, you'll be mentoring because you're a sounding board, because you're giving those observations, um, and I, and I think that those you work with will be wanting different experiences. So in other words, you know, a, a, a young coach won't have experience from which you can build upon. They'll, 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 what they've done then will be the first time. Somebody who's been coaching for five, ten years will have a lot more to draw from. You can That's a, the relatable thing, isn't it? Because you can say, when you, can you remember when? But a young coach won't have that. So it's about the ability to say, when you were when you were playing, what did it feel like? Can you think about the coaches you work with, how they made you feel, and how has that transferred to how you've just done that session, or how you want to to be? So I think it's not siloing. That's one thing I wrote in my notes this morning. It's not siloing a particular role. But it's knowing that amongst all of that, there will be. Um, Key elements like the reflection, authentic feedback, um, knowledge, adding your experience, dialogue, they're all there. They're just at different levels, depending Mm. on who you work with. It's almost
0: like a a dialogue turning the volume up or volume down on, on, on the role you need to play.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, I'm a bit old school now, but, uh, you know, the old graphic equalizer, which some of the (laughs) older members may remember, you know, and you kind of, I remember having my first stereo with this graphic equalizer and you put the bass up on a certain song and you would drop it down and put the treble up on another and you'd have, but you'd you'd do it based upon the song, you know, you'd lift it up based upon what, what the song was playing. And I think that's the same with the coach in front of you, you know. And when you came to visit me, you know, our conversation was, um, you know, one of the lovely things was about shared experiences. You know, I, I just was, I was learning from you, learning from me, and it was about just those little conversations we had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fi- final question before we move on to our, our quickfire questions at the end. Uh, you've yeah. mentioned it a
0: couple of times uh, while, while you've been speaking, but um, almost that opportunity to help coaches become uh, better at reflecting or reflective pra- practitioners. Um, and uh, something i've perhaps noticed we, within the time i've been out working with with coaches is that maybe some of those young coaches those ones who, who have less experience perhaps make more observations of what's going on through to maybe other kind of more experienced coaches being able to reflect a a bit deeper so it influences their future practice um how, how do you within a cohort of coaches you work with or individuals how do you foster that um, desire to be reflective and, and what mechanisms do you, do you help people with so they can be more effective at it?
1: So I'll give you just an example. I've been working with um, an equestrian coach called Jane Randall who's, who's local to where I live and developed a community of practice. Now, one of the things that she's made me aware of is that 80% uh, of equestrian coaches work, work on their own. You know, I'm the coach, okay. you, you, you drive to, to where I have the horse or And then I would work with you, and then you go back. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be in an environment where there are other coaches. There wouldn't be an assistant coach or or a different age group coach. So, how does that that coach who operates on their own? How are they able to reflect? And one of the things that she set up was this community of practice where coaches can come along, and we've got a session tomorrow on, on on the Zoom, is where you could just share, share your feelings with others, where people can say, yes, that happened to me. I felt that. Now that's one example, is actually sharing your experience with others. But also that reflective practitioner is about saying, you know, I've used this before, and confidence is is measured by um, expectations over outcomes. And if your expectations are too high, and your outcomes are not matching that, then your confidence drops. So one thing I would say is that when you coach a group, just be mindful that whilst you're teaching them to do the Rubik's Cube in an hour, at the end of it, they don't all do it. What success did you see? And it may be the smallest thing. So it could be the fact that two people are talking to each other who otherwise didn't talk to each other. Somebody came back to your session who uh, you didn't think would come back the following week. It's somebody who'll come up to you and say, hey, I can now do this. And show it in front of you. Um, so it's being mindful of that there are, that, that the successes from your session is you know will will vary, but being mindful of individual success. And learning isn't linear. You don't, you know, there's my classic driving instructor. You know, we, when I went to college, we all started to learn to drive when we became 18. It took some of us 12 lessons, some of us five, some of us three failures, some of us one failure, some of us first time. But we all learnt to drive. And very often with the same instructor, because uh, we live in a quite a small village. Um, so it's actually being mindful that people's learning journeys will vary in terms of how quickly they pick things up. But it's the smallest shift that you need to be mindful of.
0: Very and so
1: when you reflect upon a session, say, look, I've never noticed that about that person. So that this is where that mentoring can come in, and that perspective can come in. Whereas one of the things you talk about is reflective perspective. You know, is there was that really did you know was it in perspective, or have you blown out of proportion? Have you driven home with the one person who didn't get it, but not the twenty-nine people who were engaged? Interesting. I, I, sometimes, as coaches and coach developers, we maybe it's
0: human nature to an extent you focus on the on the thing that doesn't work rather than all the things that do work. Um, but I think that phrase, reflective perspective, is, is a brilliant a brilliant takeaway because actually everybody can relate to that. And, and it, it's something that's really apparent in everyone's world with with everything that they do.
1: Listen, you know, we, we do lose perspective, and you know, I can be the worst one. I, I've driven home before, stopped this service station, rang. You know, one of my friends, John Bates, um, so how did it go? How did it go? I needed to know before I finished the other two hundred miles back, um, and I think it's just being mindful that there is somebody you can talk to, someone who can give you that perspective, yeah. uh, and not not blow it out of proportion. Brilliant. Thank you, uh, Richard. That's brilliant. Um, so just to finish us off for our last last
0: mm. five minutes, um, we've got some quick fire questions. Um, yeah. So. Um, no need to worry about going into lots of detail with these, just, just things that really come to mind for you and come to my first. Um, so, so we'll go through these. So first one, um, what do you wish you had known when you started on your coaching journey?
1: Uh, not to spend so much time knowing about the sport, but more about the environment that I created. We could talk for another half an hour about that, but we'll, we'll go on <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um,
0: no, 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 absolutely. Um, second question. So what has been the most important accomplishment in your career so far?
1: Um, I suppose, um, and I, I, you know, I genuinely, generally mean this. I had an email from somebody yesterday, one of my third years, who's just submitted their last piece of work saying thank you very much for the last three years of coaching. Uh, and that means as much to me the difference you make to other people, um, that's definitely been, that, that's ongoing. That never ceases to amaze me that, and I say this to students, you know, one of my students, Gemma Dunning, never forget the difference you make to other people. And if you have that accomplishment, the rest of things will happen. I mean, you know, I was delighted, absolutely delighted, more than I could say to get your coach, coaching award, you know, um in November, year before last. That, meant so much to me um, but equally um, the, the, the messages and cards or emails you get from people saying thank you very much for the influence you've had on me Fantastic um, What advice would you give to anyone wanting to enter the world of coach development? Um, what I would say is just make sure that you've got the right reasons wanting to do it what's your why if you like um, for me, the why was because I was grateful to have people who informally mentored me, uh, you know, Mick Critchell and Nigel Redman, um, for example, two people who formally, informally mentored me. Um, and I felt that I wanted to be that person that was there for me when I was a young coach. Fantastic. Uh, four to
0: go. What would you say is your super strength?
1: Uh, Obviously not dad jokes, but um, Russell Enshaw said to me, what's the biggest mistake? And I said my biggest mistake was conformity. Uh, And I think my super strength is that uh, I probably am a bit of a non-conformist. doesn't mean I break the rules that are important. It just means that, uh, yeah, I like to (laughs) think differently. Brilliant. Brilliant. if you could add a super strength to your skill set, what would you add? To have better perspective in my reflection.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you know, Phil Dowson, who I've known for a long time, but Northampton Saints said to me once, said, well, who coaches you? And just stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, well, that's what I'd like, is somebody who could just bounce ideas off uh, who watches me and give me pers- perspective. Fantastic.
0: You can answer this one in two ways. So, what, what's the last book that you read, or, or what are you reading at the moment?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, the last book that I read is well, one I'm actually is Daring Greatly by Brenny Brown, um, and that's kind of like uh, I, I, you know, we spoke about Brenny Brown earlier. That's absolutely one of the ones I'd encourage people to read. In terms of my own love, is a book called La Ronde, which is uh, by Ed Pickering, which is about the Tour of Flanders bike race. So I always have kind of like an on off, you know, there's my on button, which is kind of work related self development, voice on off button, which is my real love of cycling. Love that, fantastic. Uh, And finally for today, uh, who or what inspires you the most? Um, Without doubt, the people that I work with. Uh, the students I work with, the coaches I work with, um, I couldn't begin to write the list of those who have made a difference, you know, um, from the Twitter thing, Twitter comments and feedback we get to the ones who I spoke to yesterday on Zoom and on the phone who I'm teaching and are so resilient in their final year, their, de- their degree in a whole host of different situations. So it's definitely the people I work with um You know, my daughter takes a lot of credit in my presentations because she teaches a lot, teaches me a lot. So uh, undoubtedly, she she is a huge inspiration. Brilliant. Great place to to draw the chat to a close. Richard,
0: thank you so much for for your time this morning and and for for sharing as much as you have. There's so many takeaways in there and I'm sure that everybody listening has, has come away with something that will really go and impact on their practice in the future. So thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.